This is Cardinal Francis George. I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Word on Fire Catholic Ministries is a nonprofit ministry at the forefront of Catholic evangelization, using new media to spread the faith on every continent. Father Barron challenges us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The global benefactors of Word on Fire, with the support of the Archdiocese of Chicago, now present Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, on this third Sunday of Easter, we have the great privilege of hearing once again the story of the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. What is it about this story that just captivates us? And why does the church return to it so frequently? You find it many times throughout the liturgical year. It's as though there's something inexhaustible about it, that after 2,000 years, we're still meditating upon this literary and theological masterpiece. Here's how it begins. That very day, the first day of the week, well, there's Resurrection Day. As I mentioned last week, the first day of the week that calls to mind the first day of creation, new creation. On that first day, two of Jesus' disciples were going to a village seven miles from Jerusalem called Emmaus. There's been a lot of scholarship around this question of where was Emmaus? No one seems to know. Different possibilities have been suggested. One, I think, intriguing suggestion is that Emmaus was actually a Roman garrison town, a little place where the Roman army had established itself. Where are these men going? They're going the wrong way. (laughs) There's the point. Everything in Luke's gospel gravitates toward Jerusalem. Why? Because it's the city of the cross. Jesus' whole life and mission has been about the cross, this path of suffering love. It's very important now, these two disciples of Jesus are walking away from Jerusalem. And if they are, in fact, going to a Roman garrison town, that's fascinating. Because symbolically, they're moving to a rival center of power. See, what's maybe the central idea of the gospel? That real power is the power of the divine love. Not worldly power. Arrows and spears and... (laughs) In Roman times, nuclear weapons and guns and tanks in our time, that's not real power. But the power of God's self-forgetting love. Well, they're walking the wrong way. Well, they're like all of us. We're meant to identify with these figures. All of us tend to walk in the wrong way. We tend to seek security in Emmaus, not Jerusalem. Do you know what I mean? Whether it's in worldly power or success or... or, um, material things, we tend to walk away from Jerusalem to Emmaus. It happened while they were conversing and debating that Jesus himself drew near and walked with them. What great good news that is. We don't have a God who waits for us to come crawling to him. I think maybe the central revelation of the entire Bible is it's the story not of our quest for God, but of God's quest for us. Even as we walk the wrong way, Jesus comes and walks with us. Even when we're confused, he comes and meets us. But let's see how important it is. Their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. 
Now, on the one hand, almost all the resurrection accounts make reference to Jesus' strangeness, if I can put it that way. That it was not easy at first to recognize him. Okay, that's part of the truth, I think. But I'd say here there's something deeper going on. Why don't they recognize him? Because they're walking the wrong way. The way we know and the way we speak have a lot to do with the way we walk. By that I mean the way we live. It's a great metaphor for the ethical life, the moral life. It's the path that we walk. Well, see, you're walking the wrong way. You're not going to understand. So with wonderful faux innocence, he says, what are you discussing as you walk along? They stopped. And that's an important detail, isn't it? They're going the wrong way. Well, it's important that they stop. (laughs) So something in Jesus makes them stop, and that's good. One of them, named Cleopas, said in reply, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know of the things that have taken place there these days? And, of course, the supreme irony is he's the only one who does understand. This story is all about understanding what Jesus is about. He replies, well, what sort of things? And then we have this great recounting of the things having to do with Jesus. He was a prophet, mighty indeed in word, before God and all the people. Our chief priests and rulers handed him over. They crucified him. We were hoping he'd be the one to redeem Israel. Besides all this, some women in our group have astounded us with this vision of angels, and the announcement of resurrection. They got all the details, don't they? They got the narrative down pat. They know the facts and the data about Jesus. Nothing is wrong in this report. But what don't they get? They don't get the pattern. The pattern that brings all of these data together and makes them coherent. It's that old phenomenon. You can see it in a lot of different ways in life where we see what's in front of us, but we don't get it. We hear a joke, but the light doesn't go on and we don't laugh. We don't get it. Some people are very attentive. They see what's going on, but they're not very intuitive. They don't see patterns. That's a large part of learning, isn't it? You teach kids how to recognize patterns in their experience. So in the spiritual life, that's massively important. These disciples got all the data about Jesus, but they didn't get the meaning of it. And that's why he says to them, Oh, how foolish you are. How slow of heart to believe all that the prophet spoke. Do you see exactly what he's saying? You don't understand the pattern. And then the answer. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? There it is. What's it all about? What's the meaning of it all? What's the pattern of patterns? There it is. That Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory. 
What is the path of God? It's a path of suffering love. See, friends, love to some degree is always a path of suffering because it's a path of self-denial. Once we're set in our egotistic ways, the way of love will always be painful. Matthew Levering, the theologian, says, In a world gone wrong, there is no communion without sacrifice. There's no love without sacrifice. I was reading just recently a a statement by Malcolm Muggeridge. He was the great uh, British newspaper man, journalist, broadcaster, who kind of late in life had a conversion, became a very devout uh, Christian, then a Catholic. He said to William F. Buckley in this interview, Bill, I found that in the course of life, the only thing that finally teaches you anything is suffering. Strikes me as right. That's the pattern, because it's the pattern of love. With that in mind now, it says, Jesus then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, interpreted to them what referred to him in all the scriptures. Extraordinary, isn't it? What's he doing now? He's looking back at the writings, what a first century Jew would have recognized as the word of God. We call it the Old Testament. But now he is providing, to use the technical term, the hermeneutical key to the Old Testament, the interpretive key. He's imposing upon it a pattern, which is the pattern of his own life, which now reveals the deepest meaning of the Old Testament. What is Genesis finally about? We don't know until we read it through the lens of Christ. What is Exodus about? We don't know until we read it through the lens of Christ. What is Isaiah talking about? We don't fully know until we read him through the lens of Christ. What's the story of David about? We don't fully know until we read it through the lens of Christ. That's what's going on here. As they approached the village to which they were going, he gave the impression he was going on farther, but they urged him, stay with us. Why are they urging him? Well, we find out later, see, because their hearts are burning within them. As he opens up the scriptures to them, these old texts, they, they must have known them well enough. But now that they have the pattern, now they have the key, their hearts begin to burn within them. Friends, the same thing happens to us, by the way. That old Testament, that old uh, Bible becomes something alive. It becomes something on fire once you know how to read it through the lens of Jesus. So he stays with them. It happened that while he was with them at table, he took bread and said the blessing. He broke it and gave it to them. What's he doing? The great Eucharistic act. He sat down with his friends. He took bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it. That's the liturgy. That's the Eucharist. That's the Mass. And what is it? It is the sacramental presentation of the pattern. He spoke of it earlier, but now he makes it really present to them because the Eucharist is the suffering love of the Son of God. That's what it is. It is the, it is the body and blood of Jesus offered in sacrifice. And so with that pattern now sacramentally and visibly present to them, 
Listen, their eyes were opened and they recognized him. So it goes. So it goes. They were beginning to see him as he opened the scriptures to them. They fully saw him in the breaking of the bread. And isn't this, friends, the Mass? As many have argued over the centuries, quite correctly, this story is a story of the Mass. It begins with the liturgy of the Word. It's not just thinking about old texts. No, no, the Mass is Jesus himself present among us, reading, explaining, and interpreting those, those texts to us. After the liturgy of the Word, we move into the liturgy of the Eucharist, the breaking of the bread. In both parts of the Mass, Christ reveals himself to us as the great pattern. In both acts of the Mass, we learn again how to see and how to recognize him. And once we learn that, then we know how to live. That's why now at the end, once Jesus vanishes from their sight, they say to each other, weren't our hearts burning within us? And then they get up, despite the lateness of the hour, despite the dangers of the road, despite the danger of Jerusalem, and they go back where they're supposed to be. They're turned around, they're converted. Well, that's the Mass. Once we experience Christ, we see the pattern. Now we are empowered to go forth. Go, the Mass has ended. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Go back to Jerusalem. Resume the path of suffering love. Friends, move into this story. It's your story. It's my story. It's all about recognizing Jesus and coming to know which way to walk. And God bless you. I hope you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George, and I pray that God will bless you and those you love. Father Robert Barron is combating the crisis of faith in our culture. Father Barron's expanded website can deepen your faith, give you new insights into scriptures, and help you become a better Christian. Go to wordonfire.org and tap into Father Barron's compelling videos, sermons, articles, and much more. Wordonfire.org. Connect with one of the Catholic Church's best messengers. Every day, everywhere.